How many of you have already taken a family vacation this summer? How many of you are still looking forward to planning a family vacation sometime this summer? Brave souls. All right. Well, about 20 years ago this month, we were taking our first family vacation to Colorado with our daughters, Katie and Maggie. Maggie was about five years old at the time. Katie was about six. And we had our snacks packed and I had my strategies ready. And John and I had already had the argument about videos or no videos. And I won. We're going to do this the old-fashioned way. No videos. (laughs) So I'm not sure what I was thinking. But um, our girls, neither of them had ever seen the mountains before. And so they were really excited about seeing the mountains. And so we're driving, you know, you drive across the plains and gradually you begin to see the outline of the mountains. You get closer and closer, they're bigger. And and we're ooing and aahing and saying, oh, isn't that beautiful? And you can see the mountains are getting bigger. And Katie's with us, ooing and aahing. And Maggie sits there and she keeps saying, I do not see it. And we're like, but but look, you know, they're, they're getting bigger. They're kind of purple in the distance. There's some snow and this, and we're getting closer and closer. I do not see it. So it kind of got to be a joke in our family. So now whenever we don't understand something that seems obvious or don't uh, see something, we're, we're like, I do not see it. But to give Maggie credit, she had never seen the mountains before. She didn't know exactly what to expect. And her expectations were different from the reality of what the mountains actually were. Now, sometimes it's not mountains, but it's God that we're looking for. And we want to say, I do not see him. Like Maggie, who had trouble seeing the mountains, there have been difficult seasons in my life where I have had trouble seeing God or understanding and trusting his plans for me. One of those seasons was about 10 years ago, and I had been deeply hurt, rejected, and betrayed in ways that left me feeling both discarded and between a rock and a hard place, really wondering where God was and how he was at work and what he wanted me to do, how I could go forward. As I read back over my journals from that time, they are filled with phrases like, I don't understand, Lord, where are you? Help me. I am filled with anger and pain and bitterness. Nothing makes sense. Please, Lord, help. When are you going to show up? Now, I imagine that maybe many of you here this morning can relate to this. You may feel weary being in a battle or feel surrounded or overwhelmed with circumstances that seem bigger than your God. As I have prayed and prepared to speak tonight or today, um, I have, I've wondered what battles you might be fighting or what circumstances you're facing. Maybe the circumstances that you see that look bigger than your God. Maybe you're fighting a battle for the hearts and souls of your children, or you're fighting a battle against cancer or infertility. Maybe a spouse has walked out on you. Maybe your financial circumstances seem bigger than God's resources to provide for you. Or you're an addict, or you're gay, or you battle with obesity. And it it just feels so hard to hear God's loving voice above the echoes in your head of not good enough. If any of these are true of you or of friends that you have, I think you're in the right place this morning. Our scripture passage this weekend is another hidden gem from the book of 2 Kings, and it's a story about Elisha and his servant and trying to see God in hard times. 
Now, the stories in First and Second Kings flip-flop back and forth between focusing on stories from the uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And if you'll remember, we're in a period in First and Second Kings where what we now see as Israel is divided into the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. And today we're going to focus on the northern kingdom where the king is named Joram. So listen while I read this story from, uh, about Elisha from 2 Kings 6, 8 through 23. Now the king of Aram was at, for, at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, that's Elisha we're talking about, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elijah warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So you've got Elisha, the man of God, is kind of this undercover secret agent guy who's telling the king of Israel what the king of Aram is going to do. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded that city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now just stop here for just a second. Remember, in scripture, we always need to pay attention to words and phrases that are repeated, and you'll remember that this command, don't be, repa- don't be afraid, is repeated over a hundred times in scripture. So it's one we need to pay attention to. It doesn't mean don't feel afraid. We're going to have emotions of fear. But it means in those moments, pay attention. Remember that God is with you and he is powerful. You don't have to be afraid. Then it says, and Elijah, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now here's another thing that we see repeated again and again in this passage of scripture. The words see and saw and references to blindness. So we want to pay attention to that too. This is about the ability to see God and his power. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, now open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria, basically trapped and surrounded. So, This can be a little confusing with the seizing and blindness and all that, but a basic recap. First, the people of God are blind to the presence of God, and they need help to be able to see, and their eyes are opened to the angel armies. Then we have the enemy armies who can see, but then are blinded 
surrounded, they're struck blind and surrounded by the people of God. One of the reasons I love this passage is that it highlights the challenge for us to be a with God people, to pay attention and recognize the presence and power of God with us, among us, in everyday ways. It also might be that you might like this passage because it's one of those stories. It's this big, exciting, powerful, the angel armies come in and save the day. And you want to say, yes, bam, dumb. I want to name it and claim it. I want those angel armies. Bring on the angel armies to cure my cancer, to fight the injustice I'm facing. Bring on those angel armies to protect my kids when they make bad choices. But we need to stop just a minute and stand back because in scripture, there are all different kinds of literature. And this type of literature that we're reading today is a narrative. And it is a true story, but it is not a promise and it is not prescriptive teaching. So it's not like we can name it and claim it. We can't say, okay, because it happened like this to Elisha, I can pluck this out and it is going to be true in exactly this way. This is the way God is going to act in my life every single time when I'm in trouble. That's not the case. In a narrative, one of the things we can pay attention to is God's character, what we can learn about God's character. So you may have heard the line, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. Now that's a really good thing if you do know who holds the future, but we need to ask, do you really? In order to see or understand the unseen, we need to know God's character. Now, Elisha is given a glimpse of what's really here, God's presence and power. That's something we can learn about God's character that is true. But God's character isn't always easy, and it's not always what we expect. My friend Heather Zempel has a new book out called Amazed and Confused. And the first line of her new book is this. It says, she says, God is not nice. Now I read that and I think, wait a minute, God is love, so God must be nice. But when I stop and think about it, I think she's right. God is love, but God is not nice in the comfortable, predictable, get my own way every time kind of way that we might like. Think about other narratives in the New Testament. Peter in one place, is miraculously freed from jail. Those angel armies swoop in and save Peter from jail. And yet later, he is crucified upside down. And where are the angel armies then? John the Baptist does this great job of preparing the way for Jesus, and then he's beheaded. Where were the angel armies for John the Baptist? And then we have Jesus, who was horrifically crucified. And granted, we know the next part of the story that in three days he rose from the dead, but think of the disciples sitting in those three days where all they saw was the gruesome death and they're wondering, where are the angel armies now? Again, God's character isn't always easy. So I ask myself, what can I learn about God here? My friend Heather also wrote in her book this. She wrote, God is love, but God's love does not promise us safety from the agonies of life. Instead, He is a God who is sovereign over the agonies of life. Now that word sovereign is a religious-y kind of word that we throw around a lot, but it just basically means that ultimately God is in control. He is good and his plans will prevail in the end. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11 that Lee preached on a few weeks ago? The message translation of that says, I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. That's sovereignty. So 
I want to ask again, what battles are you fighting? Where do you feel surrounded? Five years ago, our daughter Katie had graduated from college, finished a year-long internship with Bread for the World, and was out of work. Now, those of you who know Katie know that she is freakishly smart and very hardworking. And it wouldn't surprise you to know that she created the Spreadsheet to End All Spreadsheets, documenting every single contact, every follow-up, every phone call, every thank you note that she ever made. But just because she went through the right steps and was responsible didn't mean that God showed up in the way that she might have expected or might have wanted. For nine months, she was out of work. For some of you, that may be a lot longer. Time after time, she would come to the end of a process. She'd be one of the last two candidates, and she would lose out. This was a time of intense prayer and spiritual formation for her as she tried to seek God, but also be honest about her frustration in trying to see God's plan. Now, there were some helps that Katie needed that I think we can benefit from too. First of all, we need help to see the invisible. There is a spiritual battle that's going on that we can't see. It's like soldiers going into combat at night who can't see what's really there. Look at what happens without night vision goggles and with them. On the left is without help. That's what they see, black. On the right, with the help of night vision goggles, they can see what's really there. See the people waiting on that mountain to be rescued. So um, the thing is that scripture is kind of like night vision goggles. Scripture helps us to see the invisible. Here's an example of that from another prophet Daniel in Daniel 9 and 10 it highlights a time um, when something's going on that Daniel can't see Daniel has prayed and it seems like nothing's happening in Daniel 9 23 an angel shows up to encourage him and he says Daniel I have come to make things plain to you you had no sooner started your prayer when the answer was given and now I'm here to deliver the answer to you you are much loved and then, again, in 10.12, he says, Relax, Daniel, he continued. Don't be afraid. From the moment you decided to humble yourself to receive understanding, your prayer was heard, and I set out to come to you. But I was waylaid by the angel prince of the kingdom of Persia and was delayed for a good three weeks. Notice what scripture helps us to see there. When we hear, God hears, when we pray, God hears and responds. We are much loved even when we can't see and understand. And there is a spiritual going, a battle going on that we can't see. So maybe we should ask ourselves, what's really going on here that I can't see? Second help we need is we need help to see the big picture. Often we don't need more power, we need more perspective. It's kind of like when you're putting together a puzzle. And if you look at this puzzle, if you have the pieces all that dark mountain part down there, if that's the piece you're holding right now, it seems really dark. It seems confusing. You're not sure how in the world it's all going to fit together. And it is often that we won't see this side of heaven, how all the puzzle pieces of our life fit together. But God is at work creating this, and we can see there is a bigger picture. Sometimes we need help to see the bigger picture. Sometimes maybe we need to remember that, that God is creating a bigger and more beautiful picture than we can see. The third help, the last help that we need is we need help to flip the magnifier, okay? 
it's kind of like with binoculars. Often, we magnify our circumstances instead of magnifying God. So maybe we need to flip the binoculars and instead of seeing God as small and our circumstances as big, see our circumstances as small and God as as bigger than them. Somebody came up to me between services and said that she has a sign in her office that says, stop telling God how big your storm is and start telling the storm how big your God is. It's the same kind of thing. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, are we magnifying God or are we magnifying our circumstances? So back to Katie. In the end, Katie got the very first job she had applied for nine months before. She had totally given up. She hadn't heard from them. It had been nine months of frustration, but it was her dream job uh, in international affairs doing research and analysis uh, for questions that Congress brings. Um, She's was technically not qualified for the job. She's still the only one that doesn't have an advanced degree in her job, so it seemed counterintuitive. But for nine months, the GAO, this organization she's working for, was getting working behind the scenes, getting their ducks in a row, and God was at work behind the scenes, refining Katie's character. So, like you and me, Katie felt surrounded by hard circumstances, but she learned that there was a battle going on, an unseen battle, She was reassured that God did have a plan and there was a purpose to God's plan. So, what about us? What would happen if Elisha's prayer became our prayer? Lord, help us to see. What if we were able to see God's presence in the midst of challenges and burdens and our adversity? What if we live today as if God's sovereignty was not dependent on our circumstances? As if God's love was sure, even when we don't understand. As if God is always present and active in our life, whether or not we see him. And what if we were to come to recognize and experience that God's presence is learned behavior, and our task is to just meet God in this moment now. If we lived like that, don't you think we would be people of greater peace and assurance? I think, what would people outside the community of faith see in us if we lived like that? In closing, I want to share a couple of stories with you. We have many friends who are fighting hard battles. We have two friends who are fighting battles with pancreatic cancer. Now, those of you who know about pancreatic cancer know that once you experience the symptoms and it's diagnosed, it is deadly. Often people die within a month or two of the diagnosis. Well, our first friend, Lee, was diagnosed three years ago and is basically cancer-free now. The angel armies showed up, and we praise God that she is healthy and still with us. We're so thankful. Steve Hayner is another friend who, this spring, shortly after I had seen him at a prayer gathering in Washington, D.C., was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Some of you may remember him. He's preached here before. He is in a hard battle. He is fighting hard. And so far, the angel armies have not swooped in. I want to read you a couple of things that they've written on their CaringBridge site. This is what Steve wrote recently. Life is just plain different now. Like, I like parts of my previous life better. 
but the choices haven't changed. Every day has always been an opportunity for attentiveness, gratitude, and living into God's will. His wife Cheryl wrote this, I often feel like a little girl who keeps asking, where are we going? How long will it take to get there? And what will it be like? I know that allowing these questions to remain unanswered is what trust and faith is all about. I do sense God's gentle care and reassurance of his presence as I want to see around the corner and cannot. And then ironically, she wrote this. In the midst of these questions, the Bible story which keeps coming to mind is from 2 Kings 6. I think that the Lord is saying to me, Open your eyes and see my armies of faithful friends and angels and chariots of fire that are around you and Steve, your families, colleagues, and all those dear to you. So that is my prayer. Open my eyes and let me see. It reminds me that we are not alone, that the battle is not ours but God's, and that basically God asks me and us to stand still and see the victory of the Lord on our behalf, one day at a time. Two stories. In the first, with Lee, it's been easy to see God's angel armies. In the second, it is taking faith and attention. So what does this mean for us? When we come to church, I don't think we just want more information. I really think that we truly desire transformation. We desire to become more truly the people of God. But that means that we need to sit in God's truth and integrate it into our everyday lives. And in order to help you do that this week, we have some cards printed at the end of each row. If you might pass the cards down. We'd love it if you would take this card into your week. And you may want to put it on a mirror in your bathroom or on your refrigerator, on your steering wheel or in your Bible, someplace that you will see it daily. And I would just encourage you daily to respond to each of these prompts. The first one is ask. Ask yourself, what if I live today as if God was present, powerful, and good? The second prompt is to pray. Lord, I only see a small piece of the puzzle, but you see the whole thing. Help me to trust that you are good and your character is not dependent on what I can see in this moment. The third is to memorize Psalm 125.2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. And then the last is an encouragement to read another uh, passage of scripture where it seems like God doesn't act like maybe the people wanted him to or in the timing that people wanted him to. And I'd encourage you as you read that to, to just ask yourself, what do I notice about God? What do I notice about myself? And what do I notice about the world as I read this? I'm going to close with prayer now. And I'm going to use a prayer that Jeremiah, another prophet, prayed. And this is from the message translation. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear God, my master, you created earth and sky by your great power. By merely stretching out your arm, there is nothing you can't do. 
You're loyal and you're in your steadfast love to thousands upon thousands. But you also make children live with the fallout from their parents' sins. Great and powerful God, named God of the angel armies, determined in purpose and relentless in following through, you see everything that men and women do and respond appropriately to the way they live, to the things they do. Lord, give us eyes to see you and hearts that trust you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.